Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Significance of Biblical Holy Days. The Significance of Biblical Holy Days. Brothers and sisters, today we will utilize the Bible to, to learn a little bit about the, the, the Hebraic customs or the culture of the, the apostles, the, the disciples, the, the prophets of the Bible, and what should be today Christians today, brothers and sisters. Christians should know the culture of the brothers who wrote the Bible uh, because we're supposed to emulate what we saw in the Bible, brothers and sisters. So today we'll utilize uh, we'll utilize the Bible to pull the scriptures uh, that have always been there, brothers and sisters, to try to remove the veil from off of the eyes of not just our people, but all people as it pertains uh, to holidays or what the Bible would consider holy days, brothers and sisters. We're going to Colossians. We're going to start in Colossians, brothers and sisters, the New Testament. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 16th and the 17th verses. Colossians 2 and 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Examine that, brothers and sisters. The following is the text often misused by Christians in order to excuse their negligent of God's holy days. Look at what this says. Can you read 16 again, brother, please? Verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day see that? or of the new moon. See that, brothers and sisters, they'll use that. And see, say, see, let no man judge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in order to excuse their negligence concerning God's holy days, Christians frequently misapply this particular text. How do we know that how they're using it is not the way it's supposed to be used? Because according to the Bible, what is judgment? What is judgment according to God? If a brother broke the Sabbath, in the Old Testament, what was the judgment for that? What was the judgment for homosexuality? What was the judgment for being caught in adultery, brothers and sisters? So when they say that this particular text means you can't correct them or hold them accountable, that's not biblically accurate, brothers and sisters. Let's have Brother Corey read those two scriptures one more time. Colossians 2 and 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of Look things at that, to come. Continue, brother. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christian leaders often misapply this text to dismiss their responsibilities towards God's holy days. This is the scripture they're going to take you to, okay? Let no man therefore judge you, brother. You can eat anything. You can eat pork. You can eat any meat, brother. If you want to get drunk, brother, you can get drunk. 
Okay, if you want to follow Sunday or Christmas or any day, brother, it says you can't judge me in respect of a holy day or the Sabbath day. See, this is where they go. Brothers and sisters, that's taken out of context. What this is saying is if a brother does not keep the Sabbath or the holy days as it was in the Bible, we can't kill that brother or condemn that brother or cut that brother or sister off because he didn't follow it accurately according to the Old Testament law. Okay, so it says a man can't judge you based on that. So when the Passover come, if a brother say, I don't eat meat, we can't hold that brother accountable for that. Okay, brothers and sisters, because why? Even though in the Old Testament we, we ate meat, we ate lamb. Listen, if a brother don't want to do that, that's on him. Okay. If a brother don't want to eat bitter herbs, as the Bible said, then that's on him. We're not going to castigate or excoriate a brother or sister for that. But we have to be, we have to rightfully divide the word, brothers and sisters, and to utilize that particular scripts, uh, scripture to neglect what God says concerning the observation of his holidays, which you will learn today, are in the Bible, brothers and sisters. Coming from that particular perspective is completely unethical. Brothers and sisters, let's go to Second Timothy, the second chapter. Um, we're going to have Brother Corey read the 15th verse. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, right, rightly dividing the word of truth. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Paul encourages study so we can be approved unto God with the accurate handling of his literature. Can you take a look at that one more time, brothers and sisters? What did that say, brother? <clears throat> Verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul urges Timothy to to view himself as a, a worker seeking to please the most high, brothers and sisters. And then according to what we're seeing here, a workman cannot intelligently do his work without a plan. And what we're seeing here is right division is vital to understand scripture and the, the different administrations. Take a look at that one more time before we go forward. Read that one more time, brother, because this particular text tells you the importance of rightfully dividing the word of God. <clears throat> Verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, so we must distinguish the, the subdivisions of ages and the administrators of the most highs, you know, of the most highs revealed will in each age, brothers and sisters. So we'll go through all of that today. Brothers and sisters, we'll go through all of that today. We just want here, we just went here to show you that the New Testament said you must rightfully divide the word, which means that what? Just because a person had the record in front of them, just because somebody has the literature in front of them does not mean they're accurately wielding the sword, brothers and sisters. Okay. Just because somebody claims to believe in the Bible does not mean they're accurately wielding the sword. And we'll learn that today. So you have to beware, brothers and sisters, okay? Let's go to Colossians. Let's go back to the second chapter now. This time we're going to go to the eighth verse, brothers and sisters. Colossians chapter two, verse eight. Colossians two and eight. 
Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Brothers and brothers and sisters, I need you to examine the first word in this text. What did that say, brother? Beware. Beware. To beware is to be aware and, or, and be informed of danger. Brothers and sisters, so this is a call to, to vigilance against alternative doctrines. How do we know? What did, what did that say, brother? Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. See, so the, the undistorted truth can only be found within biblical literature. Brothers and sisters, if it cannot be substantiated through the literature, it must be resisted. It says, beware lest any man spoil you through what, brother? Through philosophy and vain deceit. See, that philosophy is a man making statements without a biblical text to substantiate it, brothers and sisters. And according to the text, our greatest weapon is truth. Okay. Paul emphasizes that just because an idea is preferred does not make it true. Let's read that one more time and then we'll go forward to Acts. Verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tr tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see that, brothers and sisters? After the rudiments of the world. Beware lest any man spoil you. What does spoil mean? What is it? When you're spoiled, that means you're no good. So the Bible says if you start taking heed to philosophy and you start to become deceived, you'll be no good unto the most high. Okay. How do we know you're ungood to the most high? Based on the fruit. What fruit? You're dealing with the traditions of men. See that? What traditions of men? Christmas, Easter, 4th of July, Thanksgiving, et cetera, et cetera. See that? Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. That means a man speaking without biblical text to substantiate it. And what we'll go through today, brothers and sisters, we'll go through a lot of the philosophies that Christian church um, have taught us. So the first thing we have to do, the Bible says to rightfully divide the word, right? How do we know that that particular text in Colossians, the second chapter in the 16th verse, where it says, let no man judge you on holy days. How do we know that that wasn't referring to biblical holy days saying that you you don't have to observe them? How do we know that, brothers and sisters? Because in the New Testament, in the New Testament, the disciples were observing the holy days. OK, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Acts, the second chapter. Every Christian knows Acts, the second chapter. Why? Because this, is, was, this was supposedly the beginning. This is where they, they go into their speaking in tongues. So this is, a, this is one of their favorite chapters in all of the Bible. The only problem is they're examining the wrong parts of these passages, brothers and sisters. They're examining, you know, about speaking in tongues. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry to tell you, but you don't need to speak in tongues to be spiritual, brothers and sisters. Okay, now some people may be flabbergasted and say, Brother Sid, how can you say that? Brothers and sisters, Christ did not speak tongues. Okay. So if Christ did not speak tongues, then 
Forgive us if we're relatively lethargic as it pertains to the acquisition of that particular gift, brothers and sisters, or the sequestering of that particular gift uh, from amongst the other gifts, brothers and sisters, okay? So let's go to Acts, the second chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the first verse through the seventh verse, okay? Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were Pentecost. all one accord. Pentecost, brothers and sisters. Pente means 50, okay? So when you read Leviticus 23, okay, 50 days after the Passover, brothers and sisters, 49, right? Seven Sabbath, you would have what's called first fruits in the Old Testament, which is known in the New Testament as Pentecost, okay? Let's read that again. Verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all what, brother? With one accord in one place. Why were they all with one accord in one place? Brothers and sisters, this was a holy day. <laughs> okay? This was a biblical holy day of the Israelites. It's called first fruits. It's called Pentecost in Greek. Okay, you can read about first fruits all throughout the Old Testament. Any scholar, any true theologian, any true student of the Bible knows that first fruits is written all throughout the manuscript, brothers and sisters. So we wanted to first show you that what these brothers were all here in one place at, you know, with the same mentality and mindset for a particular purpose. We're going to discuss that purpose, because if it wasn't for that purpose of them being here, then this would have never transpired. Let's see. Verse one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, look at this, brothers and sisters. Anybody who's been with our church for any time knows that we've taught this many times. But the word tongues in the Bible means language. Okay, so when it talks about speaking in tongues, tongue is another word for language. How do we know? Because when you go into Babylon, when it talks about they spoke with one language, one tongue, right? Genesis 11, brothers and sisters. So here it's telling you that what? Can you read verse three again, brother? Verse three. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of, of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Well, now let's deal with this, brothers and sisters, because remember, Deuteronomy 28 said that Jews or the Israelites would be scattered. So here we see that these Jews were out of every nation under heaven. So these were black men. They were Jews, but they lived in other countries. Right. You see that? So that didn't change their ethnicity. 
Okay, so we wanted to point that out, okay, because the Edomites, the Europeans have now started to distinguish people based on the, the geographical location in which they were born or which they're located. Okay, so you have African American, Korean American. Like, nah, get that garbage out of here, okay, because the Bible is telling you here these men were Jews, yet they lived in other nations. Okay, so your geographical location does not determine your ethnicity. Okay, or your nationality or your national origin. Okay, brothers and sisters, let's read that one more time, please. Verse five. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude now, came together. Now, brothers and sisters, why is it? It's imperative that you remember that these were Jews out of every nation under heaven. So they lived in separate countries. Brothers and sisters, what what typically happens when you have people that live in other countries? They speak different languages. <laughs> See, when you live in different countries, you speak different languages, right? So these men must have been speaking a different languages, all separate languages, right? Continue, brother. Verse six. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. In his what? In his own language. In his own language. See this, brothers and sisters, tongues is language. So if Brother Corey and I, if I was speaking initially, my original language uh, was Spanish. Um, and Brother Corey's original language was English. And for some reason, he's understanding me speaking in my native tongue, which is Spanish. He's hearing it in English for some reason, even though I'm speaking Spanish and vice versa, even though he's speaking English, I'm hearing it translated in Spanish somehow. You see that brothers and sisters? The Holy Spirit caused them all to understand what was being said in their own native tongue. See, this is that gift. So these brothers understood what was being said. So this is a clear difference. There's a clear distinction between what we're seeing in the, um, in the Christian church and what we're seeing in the Bible, in the early church, brothers and sisters. Okay? So we want you to, to closely examine that, brothers and sisters. We really need you to closely examine that. The disciples were able to preach the message without the hindrance of language barriers. That was the blessing of this particular text. This was spiritual intervention before all men. And guess what? Christianity has undervalued the gift of tongues. There's many brothers in whom... Brother Corey and I know personally who are uh, bilingual, that's a gift from God, brothers and sisters, okay? To be able to speak different languages or different tongues. Paul, he had that gift. So he could go into a city and, and, you know, in a week he could pick up the language and be speaking it fluently. So that's a gift from God. Interpretations to be, to have, to be able to interpret, brothers and sisters, all this stuff is a gift from God. Christians have totally devalued or undervalued the gift of tongues. Here it was. These particular men were together. Why? Because the Bible started off telling you they were together for Pentecost. That's the first thing it told you. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, guess what? If you don't study the Old Testament, you don't know what Pentecost is, do you? See? Further proof of the value of the Old Testament, okay? The value of the Old Testament. These are Hebraic customs that the disciples follow. 
And we're going to prove that today. Let's go to Romans, brother. We're going to Romans, the uh, 13th chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 11th verse. Romans 13, verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now, brothers and sisters. Paul's mention here of a spiritual condition called sleep and his his call for people to be awakened out of it. Please examine what he's saying here. Okay, brothers and sisters. Verse 11. And that knowing the time that knowing the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. What is he telling you? It's high time. It's noon, brothers and sisters. You see that? So look at this. He's saying knowing the time. What does that mean? How do you know the time? That means you have a watch. <laughs> See? So he's saying, listen, I know the time. It's time to get up. It's, 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 it's high time, which means it's, 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 it's 12 o'clock. It's noon. It's midday. And guess what? Time is of the essence, brothers and sisters. The world is changing right now. Open your eyes, Christians. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. See that, brothers and sisters? Paul is here urging us to see in a spiritual metaphor that the sun is about to rise, and that means what? It's time to get up. See that? It's time to wake up, brothers and sisters. Brother Corey and I, the Commandment Keepers Church, through the, through the Holy Spirit, uh, we 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 pray that this particular lesson is used um, to remove that last that missing piece that last piece of corruption of our captivity, brothers and sisters. Those holidays, those holidays. That is the the major factor, brothers and sisters. Not only to separate from their holidays, but to then pick up the holy days. Okay. Because I can assure you, if you try to get somebody, brothers, if you're dealing with the Bible and you try to get a sister, your wife or whatever the case is, to put down the pagan holidays, you're going to have to replace them with something. Okay? Because women naturally, they love to, you know, have people over and, and cook and different things like that. And the holidays provide them the opportunity to do just that. So if you remove that, but the Bible says, listen, there's something that you need to replace it with. Okay. Not only should you stop sinning, but you should walk in the spirit. <laughs> okay. So let's take a look, brothers and sisters, because the holy days were established during creation, brothers and sisters. And guess what? When we go to heaven, when, when Christ comes back, brothers and sisters, when the kingdom of heaven has been established, we will be celebrating holy days. See that? So for Christians to sit there and say, well, no, we only celebrated holy days in the old covenant is not a part of the new covenant. If that's true, then this particular text should not exist. Let's go to Zechariah, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Zechariah, the 14th chapter, the 16th and the 17th verse. I want you to really examine this. This is a prophetic text, brothers and sisters. Zechariah 14 and 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep 
the feast days or the feast of tabernacles. Brothers and sisters, this is prophetic. All Gentiles will be subdued and obligated to adopt the customs of the Israelites. This is a prophetic text because it says, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations. So this implies what? That there's going to be some nations that are utterly exterminated. Okay, brothers and sisters. It says that all the nations which came against Jerusalem, which tells us what? All the nations will come against Jerusalem. Who is Jerusalem? The people of Jerusalem are who? The Israelites, the Negroes, the, the natives, the, the Hispanics. See that? So there's a lot packed into this particular text, brothers and sisters. But we went here for what? We went here because why? Gentiles will learn procedure. They will learn organization. They will learn structure from us, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at that one more time. Verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king of the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And so anyone who tries to say this transpired already is ignorant of the Bible because it says that they should go to Jerusalem from year to year. When did every nation on earth go to Jerusalem from year to year? Show us that in the Bible. Show us when that happened in the Bible. Exactly. It hasn't happened yet. So this is a prophetic text, right? Now look at look at how he holds them accountable. Read verse 17, please, brother. Verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. Further proof, brothers and sisters, when did all the nations come to Jerusalem to worship the king? Is Christ in Jerusalem right now? Exactly. Further proof that this is a prophetic text. So as we said, these Gentiles will learn procedure. They will learn organization. They will learn structure, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Within that structure, they would be taught to reverence Israel. See, they would be compelled to familiarize themselves with our worship. Why would they feel compelled? Let's read 17 one more time. Verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. See that, brothers and sisters? That's why they feel compelled. If there's no rain, that means there's no growth, there's no crops, there's famine. See that? So when Christ comes back, we're going to be observing the holy days, brothers and sisters, period. So we're supposed to be rehearsing the righteous acts now. Why would he say we're going to be doing it in the kingdom, but not doing it now? So it makes no sense, brothers and sisters. It makes no sense. And guess what? The holy days were, it was serious business in the Old Testament. Examine some of the punishments for not properly observing these Old Testament, uh, excuse me, these uh, holy days in the Old Testament. Let's go to Leviticus 23 and 1. We're going to have Brother Corey read Leviticus 23. This particular chapter has all of the holy days. 95% of the holy days are in this particular chapter. Brothers and sisters, we're going to start with uh, verse 1 uh, just to get some context. And then we're going to have Brother Corey jump down to verse 27 through verse 29. Leviticus 23 verse 1. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Who spake? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, You see this, brothers and sisters? The Lord spake. So what you'll discover, brothers and sisters, in this chapter, Moses reminds us of the festivals of God that should be observed. Jump down to verse 27, rather, 27 through 29. We went here to show you some of the punishments of the Old Testament. Because remember, the first scripture we went to said, let not a man judge you, therefore, on holy days, right? So what does that mean? What was some of the judgments for those holy days? Let's take a look. Let's rightfully divide the word here. Verse 27. Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So... Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Take a look at this because it's telling you the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is a holy day, a biblical holy day. And on this particular day, it says, ye shall afflict your souls. What does that mean? That means fasting. Okay. So on the Day of Atonement, you're supposed to do a 24-hour fast. This was a corporate fast. Okay. Brothers and sisters, so all of the Israelites did this. This was not a religious fast. All the black people and Hispanic people and the native people and the Costa Rican people, all these people, they were required to do this. OK, read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 27. Also, on the 10th day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement and it shall be a holy convocation unto you. And ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And Continue. Ye shall, and ye shall do no servile work or do no work in that same day. For it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Now, look at this, brothers and sisters, because remember, he said, let nobody therefore judge you based on holy days. What was the judgment for not obeying the observance of this particular holy day? Let's read verse 29. Verse 29. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. So whatsoever, brother or sister, do not fast from everything, from food and water right? For 24 hours. They shall be cut off from amongst his people. So take a look at that. See, that was the judgment. So the Bible says in the new covenant, you can't judge a person. So if a brother or sister have diabetes and they're unable to not eat for 24 hours, you can't cut that brother or sister off because they were unable to carry out that 24 hour fast. Who do you think you are? See, Christ died for that. See, so that's what that particular text means. Therefore, let no man judge you on meat on Sabbath or holy days. That doesn't mean not to observe those particular holy days. That means if you don't observe it exactly as written in this text, we cannot judge you according to the laws in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. So we're showing you how serious this was. There was so much contained in this text. Number one, we learned when this particular holy day is. We learned the name of this particular holy day. We learned how to observe this particular holy day. And then what was the last part we learned? We learned what? What was the punishment for negligence concerning this particular holy day? And we're going to read verse 27 through 29 again, brothers and sisters, because the author Moses provides us with information in this chapter about the festivals God has appointed for us to observe. 
verse 27. Also on the 10th day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall she, do no... Excuse me. Oh, continue, brother. Slock you. And, and ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an see atonement that you, for you. See that, brothers and sisters? You were not allowed to do any work. So guess what? If we caught you working on the day of atonement, we cut you off. See that? That was the judgment, brothers and sisters. And guess what? I don't know anybody walking around today judging people for not celebrating the holy days. Okay? Cutting you off. That's not happening. So let's let's rightfully divide the word, brothers and sisters. Okay? He's telling you if you, there was rules, there was regulations, there were stipulations. Okay? There were contingencies to this covenant. Let's take a look. Let's go to Hebrews 10 and 25. Why? Because he said that, guess what? You will be cut off from amongst your people if you do not observe this holy day in the way in which it was written in Leviticus 23. This is old covenant now, right? Let's go to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 25th verse here. Hebrews 10 and 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, this particular text is commanding us to assemble together, brothers and sisters, to fellowship together. It says, refuse to forsake the assembly. Now, remember. That links flawlessly with Leviticus 23 and 29, because the text said, if you refuse to afflict your soul, you'll be cut off from amongst thy people. So that cut, being cut off from amongst thy people, according to the 25th verse in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, that would be considered a punishment, brothers and sisters. So not only does it say refuse to forsake the assembly, but to exhort one another more and more as that day is approaching. That means to encourage each other. We're to encourage each other, brothers and sisters. We're supposed to encourage each other more and more. See that? So now he's showing you the importance of these holy days, the importance of these observances. So you're to get together to observe these particular days, brothers and sisters. Let us show you Christ refusing to forsake the assembly. Did Christ forsake the assembly? Even before he had ministry. Let's see. Let's see how Christ viewed fellowship. Let's go to Luke, the second chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 40th verse through the 42nd verse. <clears throat> Luke 2, verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now with his parents, or now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. They went one year? Every year at the Feast of Passover. Look at that, the Feast of Passover. So don't tell us that they weren't celebrating the, the Old Testament feast in the New Testament. See that? Christ always observed the Passover. Can you continue to read, brother? 
Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now and let's he... stop there. Let's stop there, brothers and sisters, because his father. No, number one, it calls his parents, his father and mother. I need men to examine this because here it was the father as the leader was making sure <laughs> that the customs of our forefathers was being passed down to his son, his black son, because Christ was a black man, just like his father, Joseph, was a black man. So here it was, what? The customs, there was no Christmas here. See, the father was here teaching his son and his wife about what? Passover. See that? It says his, his, his family did this every year, right? And in turn, what transpires with him? Let's show you. It, the children follow what the parents do. How do we know? Let's read 41, brother. 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. See that? So Christ did this his entire life, brothers and sisters. See, this is New Testament. See that? The feast of the Passover. Christ observed the feast of the Passover. So we have to put that out there, brothers and sisters, because a lot of people don't even know what the Passover is, let alone that Christ was observing it in the New Testament. See, and this is why you need the Old Testament, because you would have to go into the Old to learn about the origins of the Passover brothers and sisters, but we did what? We wanted to go to Luke, the second chapter, to use the Bible proving that not only Christ, but his parents, his, 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 his biological mother and father, they observed the holy days all the days of Christ's life. Let's go to Romans 8 and 29. Very important stuff, brothers and sisters. Follow us here. Romans 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Brothers and sisters. Excuse me. Brothers and sisters, examine this. There's a destination here, right? Can you read that one more time, brother? 29. For whom he did foreknow, for whom he did foreknow, that means he knew beforehand. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You see that? In predestination, God determines our final destination in advance, brothers and sisters. And what was that final destination? Let's read that one more time. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. See that? So in the text, we're told that we are predestined to become like Christ, brothers and sisters. See, it is his pre-appointment that we be conformed to the image of his son. What did his son do? According to what we just read in Luke 2 and 40, he celebrated the Holy Day Passover every year of his life. So according to Romans 8 and 29, what is our final destination? Is it heaven? Let's read that one more time. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
See that to be the firstborn among many brethren. Why? Because we're conformed into his image. So in the passage, God's desire isn't only to save us from hell, but to conform us to the image of his son. So ultimately, God's goal is that we become like the Messiah, conformed to his likeness, brothers and sisters. See that? So Christ did what? According to Luke, he did what? He observed not only the holy days, but in specifically the high holy day, the Passover, brothers and sisters. And that is very, very significant. That is going to be very, very significant. Now, let's go to 1 John 2 in First John 2, verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Mm. Brothers and sisters. John formulates two major ethical principles. Number one, knowledge requires obedience. Number two, union demands imitation. Let's take a look at that one more time. Verse six, he that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. See, so following the example of Christ is essential to the union with Christ, according to the Apostle John, brothers and sisters. Now, there's something key there. What was the act, brother? Read that one more time. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk. Even he also he must. He also must what, brother? Also must walk. Look at that. Let's. Let's stop there, brothers and sisters. The act of walking implies what? It implies a conscience act. So in this passage, the conscious aspect of our lives is described since people don't walk in their sleep. OK, so it says you must walk as he walked. That means consciously. So we have a responsibility to examine any area of our lives that may be out of alignment with the most high God, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at that text one more time. Verse six, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. See that, brothers and sisters? So becoming a disciple of Christ demands more than merely a commitment intellectual, you know, of intellectual aggregation. So it's clear that according to the author, obedience reveals the nature of our fellowship with the Most High God. If you examine that text closely, we see that a believer who states he abides in Christ does not venture beyond the realm of his claim. Let's read that one more time. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. How can you abide in Christ if you're walking outside of him, brothers and sisters? See, so we're showing you this because why? Many people say they follow Christ. This is all New Testament, brothers and sisters. The Bible says ye ought to walk how Christ walked. Let's see how he walked. Let's go to John 7 and 1. John 
we're going to have Brother Corey read the, the book of John in the gospel, brothers and sisters, uh, the seventh chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the, the first and the second verses. Please follow us, brothers and sisters. John 7, verse 1. After these things, Christ walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast days or feast of tabernacles was at hand. Read that again, brother. Verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His disciples or his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Brothers and sisters, analyze the festival mentioned in the text. From the perspective of the author, the New Testament is a confirmation to the celebration of holy days. Let's read those two scriptures again, please. Verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Jump to verse 8, brother. Verse, verse 8. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. Read that again, brother. What did he command them to do? Go ye up unto this feast. What did he I command them to do, brother? This... Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up unto this feast yet, for my time is not yet full come. So look at that. He commanded the disciples to go to the feast. Why? Because it's commanded. It's part of the law to keep this feast. Christ didn't come to do away with the law. He told the disciples, go celebrate that feast. I'm not walking with you, though. Why? Because John 7 and 1 says that our people was looking to kill Christ at this time. So we're seeing a lot, brothers and sisters. Number one, several festivals were being celebrated in the New Testament times, according to the author. This was just one of them, the Feast of Tabernacles. Christ was celebrating this particular day, brothers and sisters. He was observing this particular day. It's crystal clear. Now, some people may say, well, see, Christ didn't celebrate it because he told them to go, but he wouldn't read. He wouldn't go. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse eight. Go, Verse ye, eight. Up, go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet come. See, now Krishna will look right at that and see and say, see, he didn't actually go to the feast. Continue to read. Jump down to verse 14, brother. Verse 14. Now about the middest of the feast, Christ went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Look at this, brothers and sisters. He went to the he went to the feast. He went to the temple in the midst of the feast. See that, brothers and sisters. And then he began to teach. See. So here it was, brothers and sisters, it was crystal clear without any shadow of a doubt, without any shadow of a doubt, brothers and sisters, that he was doing what? He was celebrating the holy days. He was celebrating the holy days, brothers and sisters. Here it is. We're in the gospel. We're in John, seventh chapter, second verse. And it tells us that what? 
the Feast of Tabernacles. Why is it even telling us that the Feast of Tabernacles is at hand? Because why? There's a line of demarcation. There's a distinction there. There's a time marker there, brothers and sisters. And we really need you to examine that, okay? Follow us to John 10 and 22. Let's go there. John 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication or the feast of dedication. And it was winter. Read that again, brother, please. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication. And it was winter. Look at this, brothers and sisters. The author here provides both the, the name of the festival and the season during which it was observed. Let's take a look at that again. Uh, verse 22 and it was at jerusalem the feast of dedication and it was winter see that so bes besides providing us with the name of the festival the author describes the season that the festival was being celebrated in winter so brothers and sisters if you are a follower of christ you are a follower of this observance see that this is New Testament. See, and, and, and what I've discovered, brothers and sisters, is that the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the least read out of the whole New Testament. Christians love to go into the, uh, into the books of Paul, the, the, the Timothys, the, the Galatians, the Ephesians. They love the Colossians. They love those records. And then we skip right over Christ's records, those four books. And there's so much information in there that our people are unaware of, even today. How do we know? Because a lot of our people haven't even heard of these holy days, yet Christ was celebrating these days. Let's read that one more time, please. Verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, and it was winter. See? So this is crystal clear. The Feast of Dedication is in winter, and we'll further talk about these holy days. Now, brothers and sisters, today's lesson, we're not going to go into the holy days. We're just here to authenticate or to show you that what? According to the Bible, we are supposed to follow the holy days. So right now, we're not only showing the importance or its, its significance, but its mandate, brothers and sisters, for those who call themselves believers. OK, these particular days were being celebrated throughout the entire manuscript, front to back, brothers and sisters, front to back. Let's go to Matthew 26. I'm going to have Brother Corey read Matthew 26 and 1, because remember, Christ was 12 years old in Luke, 20, uh, Luke chapter 2, and he was going to the Passover, remember he was 12 years old at the Passover. Let's see what he did as an adult. Matthew 26, verse 1. And it came to pass, when Christ had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Look at this, brothers and sisters. A biblical festival is magnified here again in the New Testament by the Messiah, okay? 
Can you read that again, brother? Verse 2. Ye know that after two days is the feast of Passover. See that? So here again, so so here again, brothers and sisters, we have the Messiah lauding the observance of a biblical festival in the New Testament. See, so he said, what did he say, brother? Verse two, ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. He said, ye know. So if they know, that means it must have been custom, brothers and sisters. See, now remember in Luke 2, Christ was 12 years old celebrating the Passover. Here, Christ is an adult with the disciples, over 30 years old, celebrating the Passover. Brothers and sisters, examine this closely. Look at the last part of the text. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 2. Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. And what, brother? And the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Why is he linking his crucifixion to the Passover? A lot of people don't even know this. Brothers and sisters, the Last Supper occurred on Passover. Okay, and many Christians are unaware of this. See that? He's, he's telling you right there. Read that again, brother, please. Uh, one and two. Verse one. <clears throat> and it came to pass, when Christ had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. See, so any Christian who asserts that the observance of biblical festivals does not appear in the New Testament is being disingenuous, brothers and sisters. Because here it was, Christ. Now remember, our final destination, according to Romans, is what? To become more like Christ. According to 1 John 2, what did that say? What did 1 John 2 and 6 say? It said, he that saith he abideth in him ought to walk also as he walked. How did he walk? He walked his behind down to the Passover, brothers and sisters. He walked his behind down to Feast of Dedication. He walked his behind down the Feast of Tabernacles. All that we have established up until this point. See that? Now, how do we know, brothers and sisters, that the Last Supper or Christ's crucifixion was linked to the Passover? Christ's crucifixion was on the Passover without any shadow of a doubt. And that is unacceptable for Christians to be celebrating communion and all that and not even know that the Last Supper is on Passover. They know about the photo. They know about the picture and all that. But they don't even know that this was on the Passover. Let's go there. We're, let's go there. How do we know this? Let's go to Luke 23 and 44. <laughs> Luke 23, verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. And, the and what? The and the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Now, brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine this because there is no such thing as coincidence 
in the vocabulary of the Most High. Everything is predestined. I really need you to examine verse 44 and 45 because everything that takes place in the universe is predestined in the language of the Most High. There's no such thing as coincidences. Examine this text, please. Verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Examine that. The text tells us what? The text tells us that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was complete darkness. So from 12 to 3, brothers and sisters, the brightness of the sun would have been its most powerful at noonday. And he's telling you it's darkness. So I need you to examine the text carefully because this particular incident is highly symbolic. Let's read those scriptures again. Verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the middle. So without specifying why the sun failed, the apostle simply states that it has failed. So, brothers and sisters, this is absolutely staggering, because why? Knowing history, we know that there was darkness on earth before. We know that. Here it was for three hours, right? From 12 to 3, right, brothers and sisters? From 12 to 3. From 12 to 3, there was darkness. This was while Christ hung on that cross. Now, how does that link to the Old Testament? We said that this had transpired one time before. Let's find out when. Let's go to Exodus 10 and 20, brothers and sisters. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to the books of Moses. Let's go to the Torah. We're going to have Brother Corey read verse 20 through 23. Exodus 10 and 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. That there may be what, brother? That there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven. And there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Brothers and sisters, for the for three days, the ninth plague brought total darkness to the land. It's, it's clear, brothers and sisters, three days of darkness fell upon the land as a result of this ninth plague. Let's read that one more time. Verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Look at that. Here we read the last of the admonitory plagues. This, remember, what comes next, brothers and sisters? What comes next? <laughs> right? The death angel comes next. So this was the last of the admonitory plagues, okay? Continue. Verse 22. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven. And there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the text, for three whole days, not one human being in Egypt saw one another. Look at that. 
but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. <laughs> Look at that, brothers and sisters. Egypt was enveloped in the wrath of God, while Israel, it tells you, according to verse 23, Israel was exempt from this particular plague. Can you read 23 one more time, brother? 23. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. See that? So the children of Israel lived in Goshen. They didn't live in Egypt. So they lived outside of Egypt. And they had light. <laughs> See? So, brothers and sisters, we're showing you that what? There's no coincidence that Christ, there was darkness for three hours while Christ was on the cross. There was darkness for three days. When? When Moses was delivering us from Egypt. Now, remember... The blood, the blood was on the doors. Remember that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> See? So that was the Passover, brothers and sisters. That's why Christ said, you know, in two days, I'll be crucified. It's the Passover. See? So a lot of people didn't even know this. A lot of people don't even celebrate the Passover. See? So while a lot of Christians are saying, well, no, we don't celebrate the Passover because it's Old Testament. In fact, it's not Old Testament. Its fulfillment is in the New Testament. See, are you celebrating Passover? Or are you celebrating Easter? Because the Bible didn't say celebrate his death. Excuse me. The Bible didn't say celebrate his resurrection. It said celebrate his death. Two separate things. Easter is about his resurrection. He rose on the third day, as they say. Passover is about the blood on the doors, brothers and sisters. Now, let's deal with that three. Let's deal with that three, brothers and sisters, because there's no coincidence, right? There's no coincidence. Why did the Most High, why did the Most High hit Egypt with three days of darkness, right? Let's go to Exodus 3 and 18, because nothing is coincidence. Remember, in the New Testament, when Christ hung on that cross, it was simply three hours. But Old Testament, it was three days. Let's take a look. Exodus 3 and 18. You said, yeah, 3 and 18. <clears throat> and they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beg you, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we might sacrifice unto our, to the Lord our God. See that? So the more you read the Bible and the more you meditate upon it, the more you will be astonished with it, brothers and sisters. As a casual reader of the Bible, you can't recognize the mighty meanings contained in the pages. You, you just can't, brothers and sisters. So look at this. It's telling you that he, initially he propagated. He, initially he asked if he could, if we could go on a three-day journey to do what? To serve our God, to sacrifice to our God. They refused that three-day journey. And because of that, they got three day, They got what, brothers and sisters? <laughs> what did they get? Exactly. They got darkness, three days of darkness. See, because you refuse to allow us to sacrifice to our God for three days, you get three days of darkness. See how all this links, brothers and sisters? So only a fool, only a fool could, could ignore this, could ignore the correlation between Old Testament Passover and New Testament Passover. 
while you're running around, our people are running around, the Christians, that is, running around celebrating Easter. Let's go to John, brother. Further proof that the Christ in the Last Supper, not only the Last Supper and communion, but what transpired at Calvary was a fulfillment of the Passover in the Old Testament. Let's go to John, the first chapter, the 29th verse. John 1 and 29. The next day, John seeth Christ coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the, of the whole world. What did he call Christ? Behold, the Lamb of God. Brothers and sisters, in this declaration, John foretold and explained the role Christ would have as Israel's Messiah. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 29. The next day, John seeth Christ coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Look at that, the Lamb of God. Now that's vital that you don't miss that. Because why? The unblemished Lamb, the blood on the doorpost. See that? So even John understood it. And when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, that, that would point to what? <laughs> when you refer to Lamb of God to Jews, that would point to Passover. That would point to the blood on the doors. Christ is saying that lamb, that unblemished lamb represented me. You see that? Jump to verse 35 and 36, please, brothers and sisters. Verse 35. Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples. And looking upon Christ as he walked, he said, behold, the lamb of God. See, so the Passover lamb of the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary, brothers and sisters. Now, as a result of this testimony, the first two disciples began following Christ. What testimony? Let's read it one more time. Verse 35. 35. Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples. Two of his disciples. And looking upon Christ he, as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. As a result of this testimony, the first two disciples began following Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the first chapter in the book of John. You see that the Lamb of God drawing correlation to what? Drawing sentiments to what? What we just read. The unblemished Lamb with the blood on the doorpost. The death angel. So the same way that blood saved us in the old covenant, you overcome by the blood of the lamb in the New Testament also, brothers and sisters. And it's linked to Passover. So I, it's bewildering, brothers and sisters. It's, it's really bewildering how Christians can ignore all of this context. All of this substance, brothers and sisters, in context, I should say. See this? Let's go to Matthew 4. Let's go to Matthew 4. We're going to have Brother Corey read verse 5 through 10, brothers and sisters. Matthew 4, verse 5. Then the devil taketh them up into the holy city and setteth them on a pinnacle of the temple 
and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Christ said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine this verbal exchange. Because in order to battle Satan, you don't need to know many scriptures. Okay? You don't need to know 25 precepts. Christ battled with one precept per topic. Okay? So you need to get your precept book together, brothers and sisters, especially my men, my brothers. You need to get your book together based on topic, okay? So if you're dealing with anger, write that down. Go into your concordance, find every scripture on anger. If you're dealing with alcoholism, et cetera, et cetera, you do the same exact thing. Christ didn't have to go into 45 scriptures in order to get Satan's challenge to, to diminish, okay? He only needed to come with it once, and then Satan tried another avenue. Let's take a look at this. Let's look at this dialogue here. Verse 7. Again, or Christ said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And said, unto him, and said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Look at that. What did he say, brother? All these things. Things will I give thee if thou will fall down and worship me. Brothers and sisters, Satan is tempting Christ. He does what? He shows Christ all the kingdoms of the earth. What is the main reason why we went to this text? Read verse 9, brother. What does this text tell us about Satan? Verse 9. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou will fall down and worship me. Satan desires to be worshipped. Brothers and sisters, you see that Satan desires to be worshipped. You need to know that Satan desires to be worshipped, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Job 9 and 24, brothers and sisters. Remember, Satan desires worship, brothers and sisters. Satan desires worship. Job 9, verse 24. What's that say, brother? The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covered the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Examine the hand which is given power over the earth, brothers and sisters. Analyze the hands that hold the earth's power. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. Stop right there, brothers and sisters. Look at, look at this text again. Can you read that again, Brother Corey? The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. Despite his possession of the earth, it was given to him, which implies he lacks ultimate authority. You see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> see? So it's clear that the implication is he doesn't have ultimate authority if it has to be given to him. Let's read that one more time. Verse 24. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. 
How do we know? He covered the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Brothers and sisters, if the face of a judge is covered, that means he can't see clearly. The clarity in which is not seen implies bribery. So he's telling you there's no righteous judgment on the earth. Why? Because the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. So brothers and sisters, the Bible tells you that Satan desires to be worshipped. And not only does he desire to be worshipped, but he has control over the entire earth. So with that being said, would he teach you <laughs> to follow God's holy days? Or would he teach you to follow things against God? See, so if the earth is given into the hand of the wicked, that means nothing right, nothing biblical would be popular. Not only would it not be popular, it wouldn't be well known, brothers and sisters. So a lot of people say, well, if it was the truth, why are more people not doing it? Job 9 and 24, why more people are not doing it? See, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. See that, brothers and sisters? And let us show you this. Let us show you how the wicked respond when they see us operating under our own legislative laws. Let's go to Esther 3 and 8. Now, this is when we are in captivity to the Persians, brothers and sisters. The Persians are who? Iran today. Remember, Esther was married to their king. <clears throat> Esther 3. Verse 8, and Haman said unto the king uh, Xerxes, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. He's referring to the Jews, brothers and sisters. The Israelites of the Bible, the same people that crossed the Red Sea. And we're seeing what? To continue capitulating to the law of our God is against foreign rulers' best interests, as stated in this particular text. Let's read that one more time, brothers and sisters, because capitulation to the loss of our God opposes the interests of foreign rulers, according to the text. Verse 8, And Haman said unto King Xerxes, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Look at that. He said their laws are diverse. So their laws are different from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Look at that. True rebels, brothers and sisters were those who adhere to biblical laws. See that? <laughs> the, according to the text, brothers and sisters, the true rebels were those who actually complied with biblical statutes. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 8. And Haman said unto King Xerxes, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. Therefore, what, brother? Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. See that? So all revolutionary uprisings of, of our people have had a biblical foundation since the time of antiquity, brothers and sisters. Whenever our people have mounted a revolutionary uprising, they have done so on a biblical basis. 
And this brother knew this. This Haman is a white man. Haman is a white man speaking to a Persian or Iranian king. And he's telling you, listen, if you allow these people to follow their laws, you're really not in charge. <laughs> See, so he challenged his ego. He said, if you allow them to, to follow their laws, it's not going to profit you. It's going to work against you. So according to the text, we're seeing what, brothers and sisters, that us following our laws in our holy days works against foreign oppressors. See, it works against the subjugation of our people as revealed in this particular text. Let's read that again, brother, please. Verse eight. And Haman said unto King Xerxes, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. Neither keep they the king's laws. And I want to point that out there because I want to put that out there, brothers and sisters, because those who are actually rebelling against the government are those who actually follow the Bible. So those of us who think you're actually rebelling and all that, you know, you're not really rebelling. OK, you can have, you know, blue hair and all that or dress in all goth and all that. And listen, you're not rebelling against anything. You're part of <laughs> you a good old boy. That's really what you are. You don't know what a rebel looks like. You don't know what a revolutionary looks like. The text is telling us and making it clear. Making it clear, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 5 and 13, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew 5 and 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Brother, brothers and sisters, examine the text again. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are what? Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the, ye are the salt of the earth. The makes it exclusive. We are the salt of the earth. There is no other, brothers and sisters. And because of that, continue. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing to be, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Here, the Messiah talked about the tasteless salt being trampled or trodden underfoot, brothers and sisters. And now, this particular text is absolutely vital to our current condition because the text says if the salt is rendered useless, the only use it may find or that it will find is under the foot of man. You see that? So the first thing he tells you is you're the salt of the earth. But if for some reason you neglect its savor, you know, it, you, if you neglect its saltiness, the repercussions are under the boot of a man. Let's take a look at the underside of the boot of that man that we serve today, brothers and sisters. 
Because the text tells you he made it clear. Christ made it clear. You're the salt of the earth. But if you lose that savor, proven that what? You can lose that savor. <laughs> See? And if you do lose that savor, the repercussions. There's repercussions, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Jeremiah, the 50th chapter, the 6th and the 7th verse. Because Jeremiah prophesied what would transpire once the salt lost its saltiness. Jeremiah 50, verse 6. My people hath been lost sheep. The shepherds have caused them to go astray. Brothers and sisters, according to this text, our pastors have culpability in our condition. My people hath been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away to the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. So the text implies that our pastors are culpable for our current condition. Brothers and sisters, continue. Verse 7. All that found them have devoured them. See that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? This is what happens when the salt of the earth loses its saltiness. What did it say, brother? All that found them have devoured them. And their adversary said, we offend not because they have sinned against the Lord. The habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Brothers and sisters, once you have forgotten your resting place, you become prey to the predator. And this is what we see in this particular text. This indicates that our enemy will capitalize off our misplaced affections. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse, Verse seven. seven. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversary said, we offend not because they have sinned against the Lord. See that, brothers and sisters, they understand the rules of engagement. They said, listen, we've. We haven't sinned because they actually went against their God, which opened up a doorway for us to, you know, drop the sledgehammer. See that that's how they view it, brothers and sisters. The nations who operated as if we were permanently cast off, though. Guess what, brothers and sisters? That is a great sin. And we're going to take a look at that. Continue, brother. Verse seven. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversary said. We offend not because they have sinned against the Lord. Now, let's let's deal with this, brothers and sisters, because they were salivating at the opportunity to take advantage of us. How do we know? It's implied in verse seven with the word found. All that found them have devoured them. The word found implies that you sought or that you were seeking after something. You see that, brothers and sisters? So clearly. We're seeing that society as presently constructed has been assembled to restrict our rise and why that is. Because uncovers this text uncovers the hostile mentality of the nations. Let's take a look at that again. Verse 7. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversary said, we offend not because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. See, so the author tells us that our lack of protection provoked their animosity. See that, brothers and sisters? See? It's 
crystal clear. All that found them have devoured them. See that? And they feel as if, you know, there's no repercussions simply based on our sin. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 7. Verse 7. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversary said, we offend not because they have sinned against the Lord. Now, look at this. They said, we offend not. We've done nothing wrong because they sinned against the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, it would behoove them to do what? Teach us to continue sinning. You see that? If this text says they can beat us, you know, they can beat us until we're black and blue because we've done wrong, then they would continue to teach us to do wrong so they can continue to beat us black and blue and be justified in doing so and hiding behind. Well, hold on. We're just doing justice because you did wrong. See? So, brothers and sisters, the author is telling us these people were looking, they salivated for an opportunity. Where did they find that opportunity? Through promoting sin. They knew if they promoted sin, if they normalized sin, then they would be able to come against us without fear of any repercussions. Let's go to Hosea 4 and 6, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Hosea 4 and 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Brothers and sisters, when we see the destruction of community, the destruction of family, the decrepit state of our people, we understand that this is evidence of rejecting his knowledge. Let's take a look at that again. Verse six, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also Brother, forget thy, thy children. Brothers and sisters, look at this. It says, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Brothers and sisters, it's impossible to reject something that was not available. Okay, So that means our ignorance was a decision. See? So, brothers and sisters, the Most High's wrath didn't come unsolicited. We provoked the Most High and therefore practically begged for his chastisement. Let's take a look at those scripture, that scripture one more time. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. See that? So you can have... Brothers and sisters, I need you to, 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 to really not only examine the text, but to apply the text, okay? This text tells you the value of wisdom amongst our people. 
And it also shows the value of ignorance amongst our people for those who look to rule over us, brothers and sisters. See that? There should be a clarion call for men to engage in protecting our people by educating them. We perish for a lack of knowledge. See that? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 19 and 20. It says what? We perish for a lack of knowledge. Okay, so let's begin. Let's begin with knowledge, brothers and sisters. Let's begin. Where does knowledge begin? Ecclesiasticus, the 19th chapter, the 20th verse through the 24th verse. Where does wisdom begin? Ecclesiasticus 19 verse 20. The fear of the Lord is all wisdom. And in all wisdom is the performance of the law and the knowledge of his omnipotence. Brothers and sisters, a person's wisdom as measured by his or her compliance with the law, says the text. <laughs> See, using this text as a guide, wisdom can be measured by how consistently you perform the law. Let's read that again. Verse 19 or, or verse 20. The fear of the Lord is all wisdom. And in all wisdom is the performance of the law and the knowledge of his omnipotence. See, so the text indicates that the measure of your wisdom is the performance of the law. Let's continue. Verse 21. If a servant say to his master, I will not do as it pleaseth thee, thou, though afterward he do it, he angereth him that nourisheth him. Read that again, brother, please. If a servant say to his master, I will not do as it pleaseth thee, th though afterward he do it, he angereth him that nourisheth him. Brothers and sisters, disobedience is characterized by delayed obedience, according to the text. Let's take a look at that one more time, because delay is a sign of disobedience, according to this particular passage. Verse 21. If a servant say to his master, I will not do as it pleases thee, though afterward he do it, he still angers him that nourisheth him. See that? Continue. Verse 22. The knowledge of wickedness is not wisdom. Neither at any time the counsel of sinners, prudence. See, so the text shows us the value is not in the accumulation or the aggregation of knowledge, but in its application. See that? What did the text say, brother? The knowledge of wickedness is not wisdom. See that? The Neither knowledge of wickedness. The knowledge of wickedness is not wisdom. Why? Because knowledge and wisdom imply two different things. Knowledge implies the accumulation or the possession of, of, of information. Wisdom implies the possession of what? How to apply that knowledge, brothers and sisters, or the application of that knowledge. So there's a clear distinction. There's a clear distinction, brothers and sisters. Uh, read verse 23 one more time, brother. 23 or verse 23 there is a wickedness and the same an abomination and there is a fool wanting in wisdom continue he that hath small understanding and fears god is better than one that hath much wisdom and transgresseth the law of the most high mm. 
Brothers and sisters, qualifications to lead are not a man's measurement of intellect, but his willingness to submit to God. See that? Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 24. Verse 24. He that hath small understanding and fears God is better than one that hath much wisdom and transgresseth the law of the Most High. See, so leading is not a matter of a man's intellect, but his willingness to submit to God. See, brothers and sisters, and we, we've said this many times over the years. God is not looking for who's the smartest, who knows the most scriptures, who can break it down. He's not looking for that. He's looking for the fear of God. That's what he's looking for. That's the beginning. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. If you, if that part has escaped you, if that part has evaded you or eluded you, brothers and sisters, leadership is not for you. Leadership is not for you. Let's go to wisdom. Excuse me. Let's go to not wisdom of Solomon, but let's go to Proverbs. Wisdom scriptures. Proverbs, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 4, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Mm. Brothers and sisters, this, this particular tenet of success is it's ubiquitous, brothers and sisters. It's, it's, it's universal. Let's take a look at that one more time. Verse seven, wisdom is the principal thing. Sprell principle, brother. P-R-I-N-C-I-P-A-L. P-A-L. So when it's spelled that way, that suggests chief importance, brothers and sisters, okay? It means the head. That's like the principal of a school, okay? Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all thy getting, get understanding. So this is an admonition, brothers and sisters, to, to deliberately acquire wisdom, you know, as your objective. Wisdom is the application of the information which one understands, brothers and sisters. And if you examine the text closely and carefully, we are advised to deliberately adopt wisdom as our goal. Wisdom is the principal thing. Why? Because we perished for a lack of knowledge. We perished for a lack of knowledge, which Ecclesiasticus told us, listen, you don't need to gather a whole bunch of intellectual facts. What you need to do is fear the most high God. Let's go to Proverbs, the third chapter, the 31st verse. Proverbs 3 and 31. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Brothers and sisters, the Bible illustrates the, the bitterness we feel when heathens prosper. The Holy Scriptures tell us what? Can you read that again, brother? Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. See, so Holy Scripture is full of warnings against this fatal form of envy brothers and sisters 
what we disguised, excuse me, what we discovered is behind each temptation to envy is a lie, brothers and sisters. It's, it's easy to be envious when we look to what is seen instead of what is unseen, brothers and sisters. What we can see is no indicator of reality, but how easily we believe that it is, brothers and sisters. Let's read this particular text one more time and then go forward. Verse 31. Envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Envy not the oppressor. The Bible tells you when you envy the oppressor, it results in you choosing his ways. See that? So the text is telling you that there's, there, there's something there where when a person feels they've been oppressed by a people, they hide in the dark, they hide in the shadows until a time in which they have the power to exercise the same authority as the same people in whom they believe have oppressed them. It's, it's, the, very same, it's the very same principle, brothers and sisters, that the very, the very thing you hate, you become. The text says, envy not thou the oppressor. Do you do that, brothers and sisters? Many people will say no, but the text tells you, how do you know if a person is envious of their oppressor? You know based on the choices of their ways. Let's see. Do you envy the oppressor? Let's go to Jeremiah 10 and 3. I'm going to have Brother Corey read the third verse through the sixth verse. Why? Because we're talking about holy days today, brothers and sisters. In Proverbs 3 and 31 said, envy not the oppressor. Because why? When you do that, you begin to emulate him. Not only do you begin to envy him, but you begin to emulate him, right? Jeremiah 10 and 3. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cuts a tree out of the forest the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. For, so right away, brothers and sisters, it tells you the customs of the people. So right away, it's telling you about their traditions, their customs. Now, brothers and sisters, the context is the heathen practice of idolatry. Let's read that from the top. Verse three, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cuts a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. Look at that. The customs are vain. One of them cuts the tree out of the forest with an axe. Sound familiar? Verse four. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. This passage clearly tells us that using a tree in this manner is idolatrous. Brothers and sisters, they deck it with silver and with gold. So nowadays they put the lights in the fake silver and gold trim. I used to do this, brothers and sisters, as a child. See, this is envy of the oppressor because the first text, verse three says, this is the customs of the other nations. To, to cut down a tree out of the forest and then to put gold and silver on it and put gifts under it. Jeremiah mocked our idolatry especially as it imitated the idolatry of the surrounding nations. Let's take a look at this again. Verse four, they deck it with silver and with gold that they fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. 
They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, idolatry is the source of much fear. Okay, fear puts us into the condition of bondage. And guess what? You worship whatever you fear, brothers and sisters, without any shadow of a doubt. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse five. Verse five. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Our idols aren't silver and gold. They're, they're far more sophisticated these days, brothers and sisters. They're far more sophisticated these days. So that's clear. That's clear, brothers and sisters. Read verse six, brother, please. Verse six. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doeth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. Brothers and sisters, we just wanted to show you that what the Bible told you, envy not the oppressor, and then showed you that one of their customs is what we're seeing here. Christmas, brothers and sisters, jump to Jeremiah 17 and 9, brother. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Brothers and sisters, the Bible discloses the, the seat of man's problem as being his heart. It, it tells us that our hearts are unfathomably corrupt and deceptive brothers and sisters. And, and, and when we see is the, the author here, he tells us that we cannot be trusted to tell ourselves the truth. Because why? We thought Christmas was a good thing. We're doing it for the kids. But the Bible is telling you what, brother? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See that? So the author tells us we cannot be trusted to tell ourselves the truth, brothers and sisters. You see that the heart is is deceitfully wicked above all things, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, follow us to the book of Job. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 14th chapter and the fourth verse. Job 14 verse 4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Why do we go here, brothers and sisters? Because the Bible told us that Christmas was unclean. Christians will have you believe that you can bring something unclean, excuse me, something clean out of something unclean. They'll tell you right away, well, we know it's not Jesus' birthday, but brothers and sisters, if the origin is evil, there's no way to mitigate it. A thing whose origin is evil cannot be mitigated, brothers and sisters. Job is telling you that here. Let's read that one more time. Verse four. 
Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. See, not one person, brothers and sisters. Something pure cannot be extracted from the impure and unholy. You see, Christmas is impure and unholy. So you can't turn that around to be about Christ. It's not about Christ. In fact, the Bible says don't do it. So not only will people not, they'll ignore, they'll neglect the holy days that are actually in the Bible, then they'll replace the holy days that are actually, you know, in the Bible with things that the Bible says don't do. And this is why we find ourselves where we are today. I need you to go to Proverbs 28 and 9, brother. Proverbs 28, verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Read that one more time, brother, because this is a cautionary tale for your, your future success, brothers and sisters. The Most High warned that those unwilling to submit to his will, they'll be rejected, brothers and sisters, in their prayers. Let's take a look. Verse 9, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even, even his prayer shall be an abomination. See, so a non-compliant sinner's prayer is nauseating to the Most High. We're reading the, the, the conditions of communion with God. What are the conditions again, brother? He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law... Even his prayer is an abomination. We need Christians to see this. See that? We need Christians to see this, brothers and sisters. We need Christians to see that if you ignore what you've learned today, then even your prayer shall be abomination. And, that, and then our people, we get angry with God and say, well, listen, there's not much evidence of God in our lives. You're right. Because we're turning away our ear from hearing God's word. Let's go to Jeremiah 30 and 7, brother. We're going to read 30 and 7 and 30 and 8. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Brothers and sisters, the author magnifies a unprecedented time of crisis in the history of the children of Israel. Notice in verse seven, read verse seven again, because notice that it's called Jacob's trouble, meaning both houses will experience this. Jacob's trouble is not only the northern kingdom of Israel, but the southern kingdom of Judea. Let's take a look. Verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. But he shall what, brother? Be saved out of it. In order to be saved out of it, we must go through it, brothers and sisters. Let's continue. Verse 8. For it shall come to pass in that day, said the Lord of hosts, 
that I will break his yoke from out thy neck. This refers to the oppressive yoke of the Gentile powers, brothers and sisters. The, the author laments our current condition as under the yoke of foreign oppressors. Take a look. That I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. That's the key, brothers and sisters. Strangers shall no more serve themselves of us. Brothers and sisters, they have served themselves of us. They've exploited us. They've gotten rich while we're celebrating their holy days. Not only are we getting cursed by God, but we're making them rich. So what God is saying is, listen, this is the liberation of, 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 of God's people, of our people from foreign oppressors, brothers and sisters. And this is the beginning of it. He said that he would break the yoke off of our neck. He's doing that today, brothers and sisters. This is the yoke being broken off of our neck. The truth concerning God's holy days. The truth concerning Satan's holidays. See that? The text shows our deliverance from foreign subjugation. And it begins with knowledge. Knowledge of what's right and knowledge of what's wrong. Knowledge of what's clean and knowledge of what's unclean, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, the fourth verse. We're going to end it here. Jeremiah 17, verse four. And thou, even thyself, shall discontinue from thine heritage that I, that I gave thee. And I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. Why? For ye have kindled a fire in mine anger, which shall burn forever. Brothers and sisters, the author claims that God's plan was to remove us from our cultural knowledge. Let's take a look at that one more time, because until the appointed time of our redemption, Israel has been blinded by God himself. Let's take a look at this. Verse four. And thou. Even thyself shall discontinue from the heritage that I gave thee. And I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For ye have kindled a fire in mine anger, which shall burn forever. Brothers and sisters, we have been supernaturally blinded by God himself until our redemption is completed. And as a result, the heathen have become the authorities, brothers and sisters. The, the forgetfulness of our heritage and culture can be traced to the subjugation of our people. Let's read that one more time, because the first thing he says is you're going to lose your heritage. And then he tells you the method in which he's going to remove that heritage. Verse four. And thou, even thyself, shall discontinue from the heritage that I gave thee. And I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For See that, have, brothers and sisters? For ye have kindled a fire in mine anger which shall burn forever. See that, brothers and sisters? So there's so much, there's a wealth of knowledge just in that particular passage. Just in that particular passage. The title of today's lesson, brothers and sisters, is the significance, the, the spiritual significance of biblical holy days. 
We went through a myriad of texts today, brothers and sisters. We went through a plethora, a plethora of passages today, brothers and sisters, all proving that in the New Testament, brothers and sisters, not just the Old Testament, but even in the New, that the disciples, not only the disciples, but Christ also capitulated. They capitulated, brothers and sisters. They acquiesced. They followed. They followed the holy days written of in the Old Testament. Today's lesson was not an in-depth lesson into the particular holy days. It was just authenticating the observance of it, brothers and sisters. We wanted to utilize the Bible to authenticate the observance of holy days, even today, brothers and sisters. And for those who need help with that, we do have a calendar that's available, brothers and sisters. Um, this calendar will have all the holy days on it. It'll tell you exactly when they begin. Um, they will be in conjunction with our church when we're celebrating those holy days. Um, so we have each and every holy day on there. Um, at the later date, we'll we'll go more in depth into the holy days, uh, what, what they mean. Uh, but right now, we just wanted to go into the significance concerning those holy days, brothers and sisters. Now, if you if this is your first year, maybe, or you're having a hard time keeping these holy days and you need help, we have a calendar for sale brothers and sisters. Um, the calendar is only $50. Um, that's including the shipping also, shipping and handling. Um, so if you need a calendar, brothers and sisters, you can email us at commandmentkeepers, the number one, the number eight at hotmail.com. Again, you can email us at commandmentkeepers, number one, the number eight at hotmail.com. Dot com. You can send us an email in the subject line, put calendar uh, so we can know, um, you know, so we can kind of know what emails we're opening before we open them, brothers and sisters. Um, once again, the title of today's lesson was the spiritual significance of the biblical holy days. Uh, we want to say Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.